afternoon or whatever time you're in listening to this, and welcome to Frustrated Fan Episode 2. I'm your co-host, Pete. I'm your other co-host, Jeremy. And today we're going to move away from relatively normal, uh, I'm not sure you can call it normal sci-fi, into more toy-driven sci-fi, and talk about the cartoon Beast Wars from the early 90s, and a particular Season 3 episode called Go With The Flow. Should I get my optimal Optimus toy for this and just kind of put it on my desk? Hey, I've got turtles watching for me from my desk, so, you know, do whichever you need to. So, so to give the audience a background, if you've never heard of the Beast Wars uh, cartoon before, this was kind of a reinvigorating of the Transformers franchise. Now, Transformers before this had two cartoons. It had the most famous Generation 1, which started in 1984, had a movie in 1986, and ended somewhere around 87, 88. And then the early 90s was rebranded in what we call Generation 2, which was the same cartoon with some minor tweaks and added commercial bumps that had very early CGI. It also had a CGI introduction featuring Optimus Prime transforming and shooting one of the jet Decepticons, and it looked pretty cool. It even had a like a new narrator for it, and so for every time they would switch over between Autobots and Decepticons, you get this big cyber... They called it the Cybertronian Cube, and it would switch over, and you'd see the symbol for Autobot or Decepticon, and it would transform into the other one. It was actually a pretty cool effect for the time that it came out. Yes, it was. Now, Beast Wars, on the other hand, was a complete CGI cartoon with a new no new-ish story. Um, we no longer have the iconic Autobots and Decepticons, but two different factions called Maxwells and Predacons. Now, I can go and we can speak forever about the plot, but short version, they're Transformers from a couple hundred down year, a couple hundred years down the line of Generation One, who get thrown back into the early Earth's past when Autobots and Decepticons are still in hibernation, under uh, buried in what is called the Ark. Now, this episode was produced by Mainframe Entertainment. Mainframe, well, some of, uh, of early 90s animation fans may remember, this is the same company that produced Reboot before this show. Original air date was February 18th, 1999, and writer was Bob Forward. Bob Forward bears mentioning because he was a longtime veteran of Beast Wars, a pretty prolific sci-fi writer, and a director, including the most famous episode of the series called Code of Hero. He was a physicist and unfortunately died in 2002, a little over 10 years ago now. And he's a talented fellow, but he probably did the best he could with this one episode. Now, our director is Carl, and I'm probably going to slaughter this name. Schumacher? No. Schumacher. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, he directed or co-directed four episodes of the series, but he's fallen into reality TV these days. Well, no one's perfect. Sorry, Carl. Cal. Cal, rather, if you're listening. And the quick summary of this episode, it's called Go With The Flow, again, and essentially this was kind of like a jump back to season one of the show, where it was just a bunch of random stories with a couple of, sto- with a couple of interlocking episodes, and the whole idea of it is... Megatron's building a super-duper cannon and wants to blow up the maximal base, but because he has poor poor planning skills uh, and likes to do tongue twisters for us, 
he did not realize that Cybertronians can't put the thing together because Energon shoots all over and electrocutes them. So he kidnaps a he kidnaps a protohuman, which is essentially like just basic Homo sapiens. Homo habilis or Homo erectus. We're not really sure what. Yeah, they showed up in a couple episodes before, uh, and so he kidnaps one to help him put the gun back together, and it's up to Rat Trap and Depth Charge to go and save her. Now, let me bring – and this brings up to my first major issue. Humans in Transformers series. Now, I'm not sure what percentage of our audience has seen any Transformers franchise, but humans in the Transformers series is very hard to pull off and make them likable and useful to the plot. Either they're – at best, they are interesting side characters who definitely can contribute. At worst, they're annoying pets. And when – the uh, franchise should really just be the two factions of robots smashing the nuts and bolts out of each other. Yeah, An example of the humans actually being used in a decent manner were um, – but was Spike in the original show and his dad, Sparkplug, because – they pretty much they were the Transformers' guide to the human world, and in some cases they would actually fix the Transformers themselves. They would fix up the Autobots, and so they actually did serve a purpose. Another, probably the best example I've ever seen is Sari Sundak and her father Isaac Sundak in the Transformers animated that came out just a couple of years ago. Not only did they give them really interesting backstories, but they didn't they weren't there to steal the show. They showed up when they needed to, but there were plenty of episodes without them. So, suggesting the story could move on even without the token humans. Yeah. Here yep. and also, here. also I gotta Go bring up Spike and Sparkplug because they were part of the catalyst to create the Dinobots in the original show. Because they showed the, the Autobots what dinosaurs were, and that made them go, "Ooh, let's create robots based off of them." So, yeah, they served a pretty major. Good part to be fair, Optimus had had his coffee yet that morning. Yeah. <laughs> now, in the in the worst case scenario for humans in Transformers series, I can easily say any of the Tran- Bay Michael Bay produced Transformer movies. Oh dear God. Or the horrible Transformers. Is it Energon series? It was like anime oh, the, anime uh, formers. Oh, the um. Or the Cybertron Unicron, the Unicron trilogy, which yeah. was Armada, Energon, and one other, which I, I honestly don't care I'm the name of it because they okay. all sucked. <laughs> they were pretty bad. Um, the humans in those mainly just got into trouble. They would get kidnapped. They were annoying. The they served no purpose. Yeah, they served no legitimate purpose. The only time I remember them ditching the humans was when they went back to Cybertron, and they were gone. I don't even remember them being there anymore. And nothing in the couple episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and just as a note to all the people that dislike Beast Machines, there were no humans in that show. Point. And I think that was a nice plus about it. Plus 15 to, uh, points to Beast Machines. So. Yep. Alright, so let's talk about the plot here. So, yes, and then... We'll come to the Predacons in a minute, but why are the Maximals even bothering to protect proto-humans at this point? Yes, they're trying to preserve history, but it's already been mentioned in the series that all the humans have spread to the Four Winds, and Megatron would does not have the resources nor time to hunt them all down. So, The main reason I can look into it is 
one, Cheetor was just... This is about two episodes after Cheetor has transformed into his uh, Transmetal 2 form, where he's kind of hit puberty and grown <laughs> up a little bit. But I bet I think he relates to the kids a little. You know, he sees that... You know, and because he made friends with them in an earlier episode that was also... Handled them pretty well. But I look at Optimus wanting to protect them because... After he absorbed Optimus Prime's spark at the beginning of Season 3, he kind of took on a lot of Prime's mannerisms, his feelings about, well, he even says flat out, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. And he wants to keep them safe. He wants to keep everybody safe, kind of like Optimus Prime did in the original show. And so he's more likely to try to sacrifice himself. He's more likely to try and keep everyone safe, even though in some cases he just can't. Fair enough, but it, but for a series that mostly focuses, even this series, which mostly focuses on the robots, it just kind of seems, it's kind of almost jarring, and you could argue this is a comic relief episode, especially for the bigger plot episodes that are yet to come, and I'll I'll take that. That's fair. So yeah, yeah, I can ignore a lot of the quote unquote plot holes in this episode just because. They threw this in for fun. It, like I said, it's like a callback to season one where the majority of the episodes in that one, I mean, it was 26 episodes compared to 13 in seasons three, uh, seasons two and three. And it was just basically a callback to the old days, and they want to have a little bit of fun before, like, the final few episodes. And you see the, do see this in other series. Uh, episode 37 of the first run of Full Metal Alchemist it's a complete break from plot. We don't even focus on Ed and Al at all. It's all Roy Mustang and his crew, which is yep. so. Anyway, yeah. All right. I, I look at it. I look at it as very similar to uh, the show of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. About ten episodes from the la- from the finale, they had this episode called, episode called "Bada Bing, Bada Bang." It all took place on the holodeck, or most of it did, and it was essentially an Ocean's Eleven parody, and it was just them having fun. And at the end of the episode, they actually do a say, they do a song as James Darren and um, oh God, Cisco do a song together. The best is yet to come. And then after that, it's the full serious nine part lead up until the final episode. There. And I kind of I kind of look at it this one like that because right after this, they immediately jump into the into full speed towards the finale. Oh, that's true. Say, why don't we take a quick break here, and we'll come right back. Sounds good. The early humans would be perfect. Were they capable of following instruction? Okay, and we're back. Now, and let's talk about this from the Predacon side. Okay, I get Megatron's from the... I mean, he comes to Xanatos and Gargoyle's level of how deep he plans this stuff. Uh, But all the same, he really should have seen the issue of connecting a very dangerous... Energon source that is fatal to him, much less his troops, before he finishes his canon of doom. So this is true, but uh, again, it can kind of be excused. If this was a very serious episode, I would definitely rail on that and say, like, you know, why didn't he think ahead? Uh, you know, unlike it, you know, like in season two where he was essentially scheming for the first half of the season and screwed with the Maximals until okay, I got everything I needed. I'm about to take over. Right. And then here's my other big thing. A Predacon facility that close to Maximal Headquarters, we're talking a couple of miles, right? Yep. Should have at least been seen, spotted or seen as a blip on sensor somehow. 
And again, uh, we can knock this off the comic relief episode. So yeah, one thing I don't want to throw out as a plot hole is Tarantulas working with Megatron again, which. The two of them were kind of on and off with in seasons two and three, with Tarantulas constantly betraying him. And so he would work with Megatron if it was in his best interest. In this one, I could see it easily as he's working with Megatron, because he knows once once they blow up the Maximal base and all the other Predacons are going down to the Ark, it won't take that much uh, effort for him to then turn that thing on, not only the Ark itself, but on the rest of the Predacons. Right. Fair enough. Okay. So that's just the basic plot issues. And to finish the spoilers for those who haven't seen the episode, but of course it has a happy ending and a pretty humorous one. But essentially Megatron, after he gets his token human to finish the cannon, who does so in a pretty humorous way, she ends up stealing the stabilizing crystal from it to pin in her hair. And we find this out in the last 30 seconds. And from... To quote the Teletran 1 wikia, which is the Transformers uh, specific wiki, it's good to steal. That's the moral of the episode. As long as it hurts your enemies, stealing is good. Got that, kids? <laughs> yep. As long as, it's a, um, as long as you're going up a transmetal dinosaur who is bent on taking over the world, you know what? Go ahead and steal his stuff. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Why don't we talk about a few character issues while we're at it? Yep. Uh, there's Megatron, who is actually, outside of the fact that, yeah, he set up this big gun that electrocutes his own people and didn't really see it coming, he's actually a pretty uh, competent leader in this show, where he sent, he goes, okay, we need these humans. Okay, I found them. I'm going to send my flyers to, gonna, to go get them because they're the most Mobile. maneuverable. Yeah. And outside the fact that Waspinator is one of those two flyers and he gets blown apart in literally every single episode of season three that he's in. Uh, you know, he sends them over there. He doesn't send like, oh, Dinobot, you can just tear everybody apart. You know, and this Dinobot will probably crush one of the humans taking them back. Not eat them. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and so he comes off as a competent leader and throughout the entire show he's like that, which as opposed to the original Megatron who kept Starscream around way, way longer than he should have. And the only reason why he finally did was he got rid of him was because of the, what happened in the movie, mm-hmm. which is still my favorite part of the movie, by the way. <laughs> but And I do enjoy Megatron a lot in this episode, a lot of it due to the voice acting of David Kay, who is, who is fantastic. He's a pretty good voice actor no matter what role he's in so so and then next up we've got Waspinator (laughs) (laughs) okay we need to explain this for people who have never seen the show okay if you've never seen the show Waspinator even from the beginning of the show when he was seen as a relatively credible threat came off as more of a goofy character because of his speaking patterns, where he would refer to himself in the third person and never call anybody by name. He would always refer to them by, like, weird nicknames. Like, he calls Cheetor Catbot. He calls uh, Optimus Prime Monkeybot and weird stuff like that. And in his very first scene in the show, Cheetor starts shooting at him, and he realizes he's under attack, so he starts narrating the fact that he's under attack <laughs> and saying, Wasbenator will fight back. And then 
he transforms and starts fighting back. But from what I understand, they were the creators of the show were going to get rid of him at the beginning of season two. But they found out he was such a popular character, they decided to keep him around. However, since the start of season two, he is very underpowered compared to everybody else in the show, and he constantly gets blasted into pieces, compacted into a cube in one episode. He gets his head kicked off. He gets his arms ripped off. I mean, I, I swear there's an episode where he got beaten with his own arm. Or maybe he was doing that to himself. I can't remember. It wouldn't surprise me either way. But Yeah. And this this definitely has – we have to pull out – this is definitely partially due to the incredible vocal talent of Scott McNeil, who's his voice yes. actor, who, if you've ever seen him in any video on the internet where he interacts with fans, and not just Transformers fans, the man's clearly insane, but I respect it. So Scott McNeil, by the way, not only voices Waspinator, but he also voices Rat Trap, Silverbolt, and Dinobot. And he's voiced God knows how many other characters in other series. Yep. And uh, I like the fact that every single voice he does in this show, you cannot tell it's the same guy. Rat Trap does not sound anything like Waspinator. Waspinator obviously does not sound anything like Dinobot. Nope. Um, and so with Waspinator, he just can't, his whole part in this episode is to get beaten up. So when he first shows up in the episode, he actually successfully kidnaps the uh, female protohuman. Which and he even says like, oh, she's an easy target. A uh, uh, happy day for me. And he transforms into his butt into his wasp form, picks her up, and runs away. And however, on the way there, she starts hacking away at the little hinges in his little uh, insect arms. And so he calls up Megatron and shouts about that he's in tr- you know that there's trouble. And so Megatron's first reaction is the, the few you know she'd better not be injured. No, she injuring Wasbinator. Ah, oh, situation normal then. At this point, even Megatron's used to Waspinator just getting destroyed by every single thing with a pulse. More or less. And, of course, when they arrive back at the Predacon base, Waspinator transforms back to normal with a weird transforming of sound, <laughs> salutes, and then falls into pieces. And then even as he's in pieces on the floor, gets zapped by the big gun. Like, he just cannot catch a break in this episode. Well, it makes sense why he does his infamous, his, I should say famous, he just stands up for himself in the finale, saying he's quitting everything, and that gets blasted for it. <laughs> yep, and then he still gets, yeah, he gets blasted, and then his head gets beaten by one of the proto-humans. The same one, actually. Yeah, by actually, yeah, it's the same one. It's the little girl that starts beating him with a with a stick, which I still question how they can get hurt by sticks when they're made out of metal. But whatever, rule of funny. <laughs> exactly with with him, it's rule of funny. And then at the end of the series, he's sitting there. They forgot about him on prehistoric Earth, and all the proto humans are kind of worshiping him. And he goes, and with the final line of the show, meanwhile, just sits there and goes, "Waspinator, happy at last." <laughs> And then Beast Machine starts, and he becomes the butt monkey in that show as well. And it was really funny. Right. <laughs> With them actually acknowledging that they left him there. More or less. And then, uh... Other than that, you notice Rampage wasn't in this episode? Yeah, I don't know. No real reason why, I guess. But I 
do I the only reason why I don't mind him not being in this episode is that since Depth Charge is in it, we finally get an episode where Depth Charge's entire part isn't just I gotta find Rampage and kill Rampage. Where's Rampage? I need to go kill Rampage. Well, that can be it, but we'll continue this after a quick break. has female fleshy body. But there is problem. She'd better not be injured. No, she injuring Waspinator. Ah, situation normal then. Yes. And we're back. And it looks like we didn't chase off all the audience. Yes, we can see who's still listening to this show. So if you log out, we'll know. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about there's some, there's some need to be brought up with the power level of these characters. Westminster is there for a little funny, but I don't know how to put else this. Uh, Cheetor is one of the most powerful Maximals at this point, and he gets his butt handed to him in this episode by, in, by Inferno of all people who was a really powerful character in season one and for parts of season two. But by this point, he's outside of a couple of other characters, he's not very strong. No. You know, he's he's out of his mind and just shoots wild like a maniac. But, yeah, he's not very strong. And keep in mind, this is to, just to put this in perspective to people, this is two episodes removed of Cheetor becoming a what they call a transmetal two, where he's... He looks more like this weird... Instead of fully metal cat, now he's got, like, parts fur, part robotics all over him. And in that episode, in the episode that he gets this power-up, he trashes Megatron without trying, he trashes Rampage without trying, and he trashes the new Dinobot 2, the three most powerful Predacons in the show. And he just annihilates them. Whereas in this episode, he's shot literally three times by Inferno and is incapacitated for the rest of the episode. Yep. Now, to be fair, this happens to every uh, character who gets a significant power upgrade in the show at some point. Yeah. They get no matter how powerful they've come become, they get their butts handed to them. Uh, even a couple episodes later. Which yeah, the only. The only character that kind of the only characters that kind of avoid this are Rampage, who starts off really strong, and every time he actually is beaten, it's kind of a legitimate win by whoever's fighting him, and he's still seen as like this unstoppable monster no matter what. And Depth Charge actually avoids it too because the only way he's incapacitated in this episode is Megatron's giant Energon gun that was created to blow up the Maximal base shoots him and incapacitates him. So I, I'd say that's pre he does pretty good for himself. Yeah. And honestly, Optimus Prime really shouldn't be trashed quite so easily as he is in, se in uh, Optimus Primal rather shouldn't be quite trashed quite so easily as he is in season three. He's as strong yeah. as an Autobot. Forget it, being a and, maximal. Yeah, and he's twice the size of everybody else in the show at this point too. His hand is bigger than some of the characters. Yet he gets thrashed around pretty stupidly. Yeah. And outside of the last couple episodes of the show, 
when Megatron transform becomes Dragon Megatron and he has the original Megatron spark in him to really power him up, that one I can buy. That one makes sense. And Tigerhawk blasting him. That made sense because Tigerhawk was just stupid powerful. But yeah, throughout this outside of the initial episode of the sh- of this season, Optimus Primal just gets he gets incapacitated in pretty much every single episode where he fights. And I get that they don't want him to be, like, the instant win character, you know, like, he shows up and just destroys everything in his path, but it just kind of Worf affects him at this point, which, for those who don't know what that means, Worf, the character from Star Trek The Next Generation, they would always have him get his butt kicked to kind of demonstrate the strength of the new, of, like, the villain of the week, and that's kind of what happens to Optimus, especially because in seasons one and two, he would kick the heck out of everything in his way. Yeah. And then, anyone else we need to talk about? Uh, well, I'd like to talk about Rat Trap. By all means. Rat Trap, I'm going to just say this right now, I am not I am not unbiased. Rat Trap was my favorite character of this show. And I really enjoyed his, like, misadventures in season one, where he was, like, the jack-of-all-trades. He was a spy. He was actually pretty competent in fights against almost everybody. Like, the only person he couldn't really take on directly was Megatron and even got a couple good shots in on him in seasons one and two. But I always really liked him. I thought he was really funny. I liked the voice. Scott McNeil does a fantastic job. And I always really liked his interactions with Dinobot in seasons in season one and for most of season two. And in this one, Rat Trap finally gets one more episode to go out and be the hero and kick some butt and get some good one liners. Because in, se- in season three, there was only one other episode where he really got to do stuff, and which was changing of the guard. And he got some good moments in that one, too, including he's in a submarine. You hear background music as he's going down that's, <laughs> that all of a sudden Silverbolt is hearing on a radio. Yeah. <laughs> but I really enjoyed Rat Trap in this one, and the interactions between Depth Charge and Rat Trap, basically Rat Trap being the comedian, making the jokes making, you know, starting all the gags, and Depth Charge just kind of groaning and being the straight man really reminds me of Dinobot and Rat Trap, like their stuff in Season 1 and Season 2. Right. And I, so he was a lot of fun in this game, in this in this game, in this episode, and I just wanted to point that out because it's the last one where he really gets to do a lot. Right. And isn't just going around saying, we're all going to die. Yep, which is pretty much what he's relegated to in the final episode of the show, which kind of stinks. He he does get some good one-liners in the final episode. Uh, my favorite one is, you have any idea how many parts of Waspidator I got? <laughs> <laughs> or where uh, Optimus smashes his hands on the, the on the doors to the base, sort of screaming that Megatron will not kill anyone else. You know, this stops now! And then Rat Trap just kind of timidly opens the door and goes, eh, did you knock? <laughs> Okay, um, I think that's every character we need to talk about. But we wouldn't. Let's. How, how would you rate this episode on a scale of ten, and would you watch it again? I would definitely watch it again. Uh, episode rating. I don't think it's one of the best episodes of the show. I mean, those are reserved for. If I was going from a one to ten, one being the worst, ten being the absolute best, ten being like an episode like Code of Hero. Right. And uh, with this one, I'd give it about a six point five. 
because it's not one of the best episodes of the show, but it's very entertaining. It's slightly above average for the show. Yeah. And uh. it's a lot like I just recent we recently rewatched it. As I was rewatching it, I was cracking up. Like this is this is still a very funny episode. And like I said, it's a nice change of pace in season three where the rest of the season is pretty dark at moments. Of course, they still have like the little jokes here and there, uh, including a couple of Looney Tunes gags in Feral Scream Part 1. But this one was just all comedy the entire way through. It allows me to overlook any like the little plot holes, such as why don't they just go finish off the Predacons at the end of the episode when they're all incapacitated, to which I say that would have been a really cruddy end to this show. Yep. <laughs> finish it on a comedy episode. But, no, I would definitely watch it again. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. It's fun, but at the same time, it's definitely a kid appeal episode, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a 5 out of 10. I would watch it again in a watch, in a watch through of the series, but I'm not going to actually seek it out. So Yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. Episode, I mean, I'd say, like, higher-ranked ones I'd definitely seek out and just watch by themselves, like Code of Hero or the, the first two episodes of the show – or the season one cliffhanger in the beginning, like the the little mini arc at the beginning of season two. But yeah, with this one, it's good to watch in the middle of it as you're watching season three. You're like, oh, okay, got a good laugh, and now I can get back into the dark stuff. Right. And then, but one thing we co- we're never going to cover in a future episode, but real briefly here, this episode was actually supposed to take the place of. Oh, uh, another episode, which we'll talk about after a quick break. <sighs> Whatever. Oh, it bears mentioning that no TV show is ever without cuts, and Beast Wars had the same here. The original episode that was supposed to place in this place was called Dark Glass. Just real briefly, because we're going to cover this in depth in another episode. Essentially, this episode was going to fill one major plot hole in and basically have Rattrap find the old memories of his friend Dinobot who died middle of season two and it tried to upload him to his clone his evil clone. But the according and this is all hearsay based on what the bastion of all things truthful and factual the internet. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the episode was rejected because it didn't have enough action. And reading the episode's description, it sounds a little bit more cerebral. So do I mind the fact that they went with a comedy episode in middle of season three over what would have been a very interesting, if dark, episode? No, but I definitely would have liked to see it. Yeah, I'll I'll agree to that. I like how they, you know, I, like I said, I liked in, it reminds me of DS9, how they went with the goofy bada-bing, bada-bang before, like, the big run-up to the finale, and I kind of liked how they did that in this one. I mean... In the end, it is a kid's show, and they have to treat it as such. And from the little bit of information that has been provided about Dark Glass and from the review of it and, like, the little quick summary of it, um, it sounded pretty dark, and it did sound really good. I, To be honest, it's probably something that would have been done in Beast Machines because that show went a lot more darker than Beast Wars did. But... It, w- it probably would have been really good. Probably would have been something that us older fans would have really gotten into. But for kids, eh, you know, it. I'll, I'll agree to the. It was too dark. Yeah. 
Okay, I think that's going to just about wrap us up. Uh, ah, it's going to wrap us up for this episode. Unless you had anything else? Uh, no, I mean, we'll... I know we just kind of briefly covered Dark Glass, but we'll be covering it more in a later episode. And we're going to hit some, We're going to hit another fandom next time. We haven't decided which fandom, but there's plenty out there that we enjoy or ones that we could take revenge on for hating. Definitely. All right, I'm going to sign off. This has been... All right. Ta- Go ahead. Take care, everyone. This has been Frustrated Fan, and we'll see you next time. Yep.